Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Every three weeks, Father Jeffrey and I release an hour-long episode regarding an aspect of Orthodox life. However, only patrons get access to the last half hour of our discussion. If you'd like to hear the rest of this conversation, you can head over to pryingpriest.com support. But for now, enjoy the first half of this double feature. We're here for another double feature of Enacting the Kingdom. Father Jeffrey, how are you? Not doing too badly myself. How about you? I'm doing well. Uh, at the time of recording, we are currently in a stay-at-home lockdown. So, you know, there are many people who are talking about our rights, you know, our rights, our rights, our rights. Mm, so, this sounds like a real constraint on our individual liberty, doesn't it? So. Exactly, exactly. So today our theme is classical liberalism and orthodox Christianity. And right before we started recording, we were just chatting about the fact that everyone is using these terms differently, right? Mm-hmm. Classical liberal, liberalism, conservatism, like all these different things. Um, so I think like any good conversation that hopes to actually go somewhere, we should start by defining some terms. So for the purposes of this conversation, you know, there are so many different kinds of liberalism and there's different movements throughout the centuries and everything like that. So um, the way that we'll define it will be for the purposes of this conversation. But um, it's my impression, Father Jeffrey, that you know, when I pick, because I picked the theme of classical liberalism, by the way, for all our listeners, I usually just pick themes that I want to talk about and learn about. <laughs> so, um, and Father Jeffrey has to agree. He has to say yes. There's um, no individual liberty here. <laughs> exactly. So I, uh, I wanted to talk about and learn a bit more about classical liberalism and its intersection with Orthodox Christianity. So my when I picked that theme, I was using classical liberalism in a very, very broad sense, meaning kind of a general movement ideology that that we are all swimming in, whether you call yourself liberal or conservative or or belong to whatever party, orthodox, whatever you might, whatever religion or whatever you might be. If you're in the West, you are most likely some form of classical liberal. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I suppose uh, because some people do actually use the word classical with liberal in a, in a very specific sense and not the one you've just said. Uh, maybe mm. you could just say, you know, broad, you know, Western liberal society and, and so forth, or some sort of foundational liberalism, because essentially the point is even the most extreme, you know, political divides in our society are within one liberal camp. You know, so even people who identify as conservatives today are actually not conservatives in a more traditional classical sense. They are just simply, uh, they're, they're a particular form in an early form, actually, and it, w- it was kind of re- rediscovered in the 1980s uh, of liberalism. Whereas, you know, the, the ones they castigate as being liberal are just another form of that same liberalism that, that developed, you know, since the Enlightenment under modernity, it has all the same kind of ultimate, you know, foundational 
philosophical principles and purposes and so forth. They're, they're, these are arguments within one tent, right? And it's actually really hard for us to see outside of that because as you precisely say, no matter where we are, no matter what our convictions are, no matter what our political beliefs or religion, we, we swim within this, right? And it's very hard for the, the fish to notice the water that it swims in. It has to be kind of taken outside of that to even take take note of it or to have some perspective on it. And although there are critiques of, of liberalism, there are movements that, that are trying to kind of pull back away from some of the aspects of it, we can talk about some of that, essentially everything we know and experience, and certainly within Canadian, American, British, and other Europe, forms of European politics, everybody is a liberal. And if you're offering yourself for election, you are in the liberal, you know, um, fold in some way, shape or form. So we can talk about what those foundational elements are of liberalism and how they actually get manifested in, in ways that, you know, seem to us to be so profoundly different. And, and yet at their very heart, they are essentially saying the same thing. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's very fascinating to, when, when you, when you, um, when you're able to see the fact that, you know, the people who maybe find themselves on the more left side of this quote unquote political spectrum or on the right side of that spectrum, that actually that spectrum represents one way of thinking about government yeah. and society. It's not all of the ways into this one. Like right. it'd be so nice and neat to just have one line that encapsulates all the ways that humans have ever thought about politics mm. and society but um we're just we're it's hard for us to imagine because and it's precisely the problem you know there are there were different ways and there are different ways of conceiving of these things but we're, we're not even able to see them we are so immersed in this one way of, of conceiving you know and not even just you know the political aspects of this or the social and economic and so forth I mean, the kind of foundational point of what it is to be a human being uh, and and what that involves uh, we we just are, are so governed by that that it affects everything and you know part of the discussion about all of this with orthodox christianity is how has this distorted or changed anyway transformed the way we even read our sacred texts the way we understand liturgy the way, the way we understand the spiritual life has been profoundly affected by all of this, right? Um, at the time of recording, we just um, celebrated the fourth Sunday of Great Lent. And I spoke a little bit to this in our homily on, on Sunday about our reading of a text like The Ladder of Divine Ascent uh, is completely different from the context in which it was written and read for centuries, because we have a completely different understanding of what it means to be a human being. Right. And this, this is a big thing. We have to take stock of this on some level. So let's go ahead and, and have this conversation, which is so foundationally important to us. Yeah. I think one of the issues with, and one of the reasons I'm excited to talk about this topic is because a lot of us Orthodox like to think that we have put on our Orthodox glasses and are therefore viewing the entire world in an orthodox way, right? So we might view politics and say, well, I'm looking at politics like an orthodox Christian would see politics. Or I would look at the, you know, let's say popular movies. Like, yes, I go see popular movies, but I make sure I watch them with my orthodox lenses so that I can take the good and leave the bad, right? But I think, I think for many of us, we're not wearing orthodox glasses. We're wearing 
liberal, like classical liberal glasses. Inevitably, inevitably, yeah. yeah. And um, and it and as I say, it affects every single level of the way we we read, the way we think, the way we act in in the world, and uh, uh, and that can be quite frightening and on some levels because it's you know we're unaware of the extent to which this has influenced us it's not to say there aren't you know really good things you know that come out of of this tradition and i hope we'll speak to the positive elements of it uh, as well but the fact that it is affecting us suggests we should probably know something about it and and begin to think through some of the implications yeah i've i've read a couple of books recently that sort of talk about classical liberalism. That's why I, I'm sort of interested in, in the topic right now. Um, but yeah, maybe we could dive into some of those particular aspects, Father Jeffrey. Um, I mean, an obvious one off the top would be this idea of like individual sovereignty um, and like individual free will that you as an individual are uh, innately in just existing have an innate, uh, have innate, inalienable uh, rights that you kind of have a certain baseline entitlement that you that you're kind of should be allowed to have in any society. And I, this has obviously come under criticism from people that come from a orthodox or or just any kind of theistic background to say, well, how. Um, are you just arbitrarily choosing that somebody has rights because you think that they need rights or where are you getting that value from? Because the people who come from traditions of faith would say, well, we, we have value in that we've been created in God's image. Um, but then this, this question of individual liberties also has a couple of other topics to it as well. Maybe let's just start there. And I have a, two other little aspects of it I'd like to throw your way, Father Jeffrey. But is there any reaction to this so far? Yeah, I mean, the defining characteristic of liberalism, right, um, as a political philosophy or doctrine, is that the freedom of the individual is the central problem of politics, so and politics is that thing about how how do we operate with one another, right? It's it's the it's the government of or the governing of the police of of the of the civilization of the city, and so how does that work? Well, fundamentally, it's about protecting and enhancing the freedom of the individual at the at the heart of that. Okay, so that that is the foundational description of every type of, of liberalism. Um, so as I say, all of the various ways that people think in, in our modern society, our contemporary society, from the far political left to the far political right, the, the fundamental concern is about protecting and enhancing the freedom of the individual. And, you know, in, in the first instance, you know, there's not anything particularly, um, problematic about that from an orthodox perspective, right? In terms of caring for, you know, people as people and each person as a person, right? There's plenty of scriptural warrant for, you know, the the idea that people, you know, each and every one of us is important, right? I mean, the in our Lord's words in the gospel, he says that, you know, even the sparrows, you know, not one of them is going to fall without the father being aware of it. And even every hair of your head 
is counted. So don't, don't be afraid, basically. So people have worth, people have value. And so, you know, an awful lot, you know, is built around just that fundamental idea that you matter. You're not just a cog in a system. You're not just one of you know, 10 million, you know, a number, uh, you know, just some sort of, you know, economic uh, contributor to the, the the greater good or something like that, you have value as, as an, as an individual. And so, so, I mean, everything is, is based on, on this platform. Um, the disagreement, of course, within liberalism will be over, well, you know, is the society kind of grouping together in order to protect, you know, inalienable, uh, you know, basic foundational freedoms that people already have, or should we be gathering together in order to actually deliver and emancipate people from all of the things that prevent them from realizing that individual freedom and potential, right? So that's basically how the political right and the political left will we'll kind of, you know, divide down. On the one hand, the, the assumption is freedom is there, we just protect it, and there's a limited government in order to, to kind of uh, allow that to take place. On the other hand, you've got those who would say, well, no, there's all kinds of obstacles to those freedoms. Um, and so we need to tackle things like poverty and disease, discrimination, ignorance, in, in all of its forms, right? So, but the, the foundational idea here is that the freedom of the individual is what is is at stake. So, as I say, from an Orthodox perspective, we can go along with a fair amount of that. It's why you know Orthodoxy can sit happily within a society that has that as it, at, at its very core, at its very heart, right? Because we believe people have value, and we believe that people have freedom too. This is a kind of foundational part of our, you know, uh, theology. Our understanding of the of the of history of God's acting in history is that He wants us to love Him freely, and so the idea of allowing people and enhancing the possibility that people respond in freedom is is not a bad idea, right? So in, in that respect, you know, so far so good. Um, but uh, you know, it's in the detail and in the kind of practical working out of some of this where um, and the kind of you know, larger assumptions that are being made about what an individual is like or, or what is required for somebody to exercise freedom. Um, though that's where the, the detail can become a little bit murky and, um, and where we need to maybe question some of the assumptions that the society uh, that we are part of has made around this idea of the individual and freedom. Yeah, two, the, the two little hiccups that I had mentioned before, one is rights. So I'd like to talk about rights, but you hinted at the other one just now, which is what I'd like to talk about um, uh, right now, which is freedom, right? What does it mean that we're free? And and I think that there is a con, I mean, this is my read. Tell me if I'm off base, Father Jeffrey. I think that there's a conflict between freedom as construed by Orthodox theology and freedom as construed by the sort of classical Western liberalism. Um, because it, my impression is that this sort of classical Western liberalism would say that you have the freedom to exercise your, to do whatever you want to do. Right. Um, even, even to the point of like, I don't know, some would even say if you want to do self-harm like that, you are, at least you're expressing your freedom in doing that. Right. If you want to have that triple Big Mac 
extra bacon, whatever, you know, it's not good for you, but you've, you've, you've expressed your freedom in, in, in being able to do that. But to me, that seems like it is a, uh, us Orthodox, we have a sense of freedom that is, um, um, Oh, I, I'm forgetting the word from the end. Typological? No, not typological. Teleological. Teleological. That's the word. So, yeah, we have this teleological understanding of freedom that we're actually growing towards something. Yeah. Um, and am I picking up on an actual tension here or am I making too much of something? No, no, no this is, you've put your finger on precisely the problem with, with liberalism. Um, you know, the... There's a real distinction between freedom from and freedom for. And I think where we share a lot of sympathy, um, you know, with liberalism is that, you know, human beings need to have a considerable amount of freedom from, freedom from oppression, freedom from, you know, discrimination, freedom from any constraint on fulfilling, you know, potential and everything. And, and you have to realize, I mean, the, the, the historical development of the, the, the political philosophy of liberalism is precisely in reaction against you know, societies in which those freedoms just were not present. Um, you know, you have oppressive, uh, feudal and, you know, other kinds of authoritarian, um, hierarchical societies, which, you know, went beyond, I mean, there's this kind of beautiful image of the golden chain of being of the mid, uh, of the medieval period. And some of that's so beautiful. Everybody knows their place. You know, you can, you know, you, you, you look up, you know, eventually, you know, towards God in his court with his angels and all those ranks and so forth. And on, on, on the earth, there's the, the ranks of human society and everything. Uh, and then you look down to, you know, to the, to those who go right down into, you know, the, the, the pit of hell. And so everything has its place. There's a the kind of beautiful version of this, but often it's accompanied by oppression, by manipulation, by constraint, you know, that human beings are just not able to kind of exercise anything like human flourishing. And so liberalism develops as a reaction, you know, to that. And it focuses uh, its attention on how human beings can actually develop and, and progress and, and achieve, right. In, in the sciences, in, in politics and society and, and so forth, and actually you know, create and, and everybody should be free to, to be able to express and develop and, and fulfill their potential. Right. So that's the freedom from, but if it's just left as a freedom from, it has no, as you say, teleology, it has no telos, it has no purpose. It has no, uh, direction except this kind of vague notion of progress right? This kind of overarching narrative of things are getting better or things will develop or things will improve. But without any foundation to that, it means, you know, precisely that you're going to get all kinds of different contradictory and, and ultimately competing um, and warring versions of this. And the whole history, sadly, of liberalism has not been emancipation into flourishing, emancipation into development and progress and kind of unending sunsets. <laughs> you know, um, it has been 
a history of war and conflict, you know, from the, from the get-go, the same people that are triumphing uh, freedom and equality and, 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 uh, and emancipation are the same ones who are devolving into all kinds of horrible, you know, conflicts and, and, uh, you know, great oppression, like think of the, the French revolution and, and there's the catastrophe that that was, you know, if you go from one generation to, you know, liberally, liberally leading the people into, you know, mass amounts of oppression and, and suppression and, and, and so forth. And the whole course of the 20th century has proved, you know, you know, the greatest amount of warfare and death in human history, right? And, and this is an outgrowth directly of a liberalism that has no purpose, no point ultimately, right? So Orthodox would emphasize, yes, the need to be free uh, and God intends us to be free and to respond freely and to have the opportunity to, 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 to be able to, to exercise our human free will and choice, but it's altogether a freedom for it's it's directed towards something right and what is that thing it's the kingdom of god it's it's life in subject to the one who is the god of love and of concern for every human being for every hair on our heads and in the way to to live in freedom for that is to actually sacrifice ourselves in love for the other, right? So this has a really clear direction. And you might say, well, that's not freedom at all if it, if it has this kind of characteristic of obedience. And this is the great paradox at the heart of our Christian narrative is that the only true freedom is exercised by our submission to the will of God, who is himself, you know, true freedom right and so perfect obedience is perfect freedom perfect freedom is only exercised when we can actually be fully aligned you know with the will of god it's for that reason we can imagine actually the the new heaven and the new earth when when christ appears and god is all in all people say well we if if we are at the fullness of humanity, does that mean we no longer have freedom to, 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 to sin or to, to rebel or whatever? But no, that, in actual fact, that is the fullness of freedom itself when we are no longer actually, uh, you know, in a state where we are rebelling, where we are rejecting the will of God and so forth. So that's a paradoxical thing. And that doesn't sit at all well with the liberals because, of course, they would see that as a complete constraint. On, on freedom. This freedom for is something which is utterly absent from, from their thinking. It has to be entirely a freedom from. And this is the very heart of the conflict because, you know, we, ha we cannot find uh, any inherent teleology within liberal political philosophy. And for that reason, it can very easily tip into the, the huge conflicts we've seen. It also tips altogether too easily into totalitarianism, right? The both the in its communist and its fascist forms, although in some ways it's a, a kind of reaction against, you know, individualism and so forth, but it in some ways it's just the 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 totalitarian uh, conception of an individual idea, right? In a, in a society that has no built-in 
purpose or teleology, it's very easy to tip into things like that, which is why you find liberalism and aspects of totalitarianism and authoritarianism kind of overlap, uh, overlapping, you know, quite a bit. And we see that today in our politics, in this post-truth era, in, in the era of, you know, populism and, and of, um, you know, the, the, the ideas that, that come out of, you know, the, the, the latest movements, whether it's, you know, in, in Europe or in the United States and, and so forth, it, 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 liberalism without a purpose, without a point is, is really vulnerable to these kinds of, of attacks and so forth and, or things kind of eating away, eroding it from, from within. And so the, I think the Orthodox Christian answer in the first instance has to be, you can't just have freedom from, it has to be a freedom for, and you have to provide some kind of purpose, some kind of goal, some kind of, of telos for the society. You can't just say be free. And, and that's the end of it, that the freedom itself is not a purpose. So we have about, uh, six, seven minutes left. Um, and I do want to, I, while you were saying all that about freedom, Father Jeffrey, I was thinking of a metaphor and I want to share that metaphor with you in just a second. But before we do that, I just want to mention that uh, this is only the first half of the interview. The second half of the interview is available, available, not interview, conversation, <laughs> available for our uh, patrons on Patreon, where we'll continue the discussion on classical liberalism and Orthodox Christianity. Particularly, we're going to be talking about the concepts of progress relative to maybe orthodox concepts of the theosis, um, concepts of enlightenment, right? Um, you know, all that superstition and religion is being put down and we're finally being enlightened to the scientific way of life. Well, how does that relate to our Christian ideas of enlightenment, right? We have received um, the light from God and we see the world in a new way. So I think that there are connections uh, between orthodox Christianity and classical liberalism, but of course there are uh, tensions as well. Um, so if you want to listen to that second half, become a patron at patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Also, so Father Jeffrey, here's my, here's my, um, here's my, my metaphor. Okay. Mm -hmm. My analogy. So, uh, if you want to make Christmas cookies, you have the cutouts, right? Mm -hmm. That you, you bake your cookie within, you put the batter within the, um, the shape and it creates a shape. And, that would be, I guess you would describe that as a freedom for, right? So like the batter has the freedom to move to become the shape of that Christmas tree because it has the ultimate purpose is to be a Christmas tree shaped cookie because it's a Christmas cookie, right? Um, but I guess a classical liberal approach might be to say, well, don't, don't bind that batter, to being like a Christmas cookie. You need to let it, it needs to be whatever it wants to be. Well, it needs to find its own shape. Right. It needs to find its own shape. Even though you might have an idea that somehow this is still a Christmas cookie, but it might not actually look like any kind well, of Who's to cookie. say what your idea of a Christmas cookie is anybody else's idea right, of a Christmas right. cookie, right? And, then, and, you know, and so therefore, you know, it, it ceases to have any meaning, actually, right? Because right. I just get to decide. It's a bit like Alice in Wonderland, right? Humpty Dumpty decides the, the meaning of words, you know, for himself. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter whether you use words in the same way, you know, his determination is whatever, you know, his, his definition is, is, is the one that matters. And that's ultimately what freedom from 
leads to, without any kind of freedom for leads to right there is there is no basis of any kind in which to even have the negotiation that was considered to be the, the kind of key part of all of this i mean there's this there is a glorious idea at the heart of of the you know the early liberal philosophy and everything is that everything will turn out well because we are fundamentally rational human beings and and rational human beings can negotiate their way to you know, good settlements, uh, you know, the, the kind of social contract that's envisaged by a Thomas Hobbes or a John Locke or, or whatever, or, you know, creating the, the, the happiness for the greatest number, you know, in a Jeremy Bentham and a John Stuart Mill. The, the, and, and so long as we're not kind of Im- imposing constraints on one another or harming one another, we should be able to grow and develop, you know, together and find that way of negotiating our way to being, you know, precisely the, the shape we want, you know, and, and we should be able to kind of all get along. There's, there is a kind of lovely, you know, image, you know, in, in all of that. Of course, the problem that this doesn't resolve is, you know, what happens when, you know, every single assertion of you know, rights on the part of one person is actually causing harm uh, to to another. You know, this the, the kind of zero sum game that this becomes. That everybody, uh, you know, advancing over here means other people are being trampled down. You know, over here, and 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 it, the ambiguity is there from the very beginning. Because remember, these early liberals, you know, were very skeptical when they said every human being has, you know, a kind of rational capacity and ability to participate in a kind of democratic culture and and everything. What they meant was landed property owners, you know, um, you know, who were male, uh, who were white, um, and so even in that original vision, there was uh, there were constraints and, and limits to what they thought actually was possible, right? And and as we've expanded that, the whole history of liberalism has been a kind of gradual emancipation and and you know, enfranchising of as many people as possible, right? So it became, well, maybe, you know, they were worried that people who didn't own land would have a say, that, that this would mean that, you know, because they didn't really have a commitment to where they were, right? They could up and leave at any point because there was no land to hold them down. Well, so eventually people who who, were, who did not own property were allowed to vote. And then, you know, eventually, you know, kind of more than just white men were allowed to vote. So women, so people of color and, and so forth. So there's been a gradual emancipation of this. And the consequence of that has been this increasing diversity and and um, you know, division of, of goals and, and purposes, everybody going their own, you know, direction. And so this, the rise and rise of more and more conflict over time, and nobody can agree anymore as to what this freedom that we've all attained and asserted for everybody and the, the, the vast amount of rights that everybody has, nobody can even settle on what the purpose of, of those things are. And there's just endless conflict, which you know, as I say, will very quickly tip into, you know, the rise of the one kind of strong man and a, and a kind of governing idea, the ideology and so forth that liberalism is prey to because it doesn't have a tradition. It doesn't have a culture. It doesn't have a purpose. It doesn't have a direction. And so, um, yeah, it's, despite all the glorious ideas at the, at the heart of it, it's, 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 it's somewhat, um, prey to a lot of uh, of difficulty and conflict and, and misery. 
You've just finished listening to another public episode of Enacting the Kingdom. If you're getting value from this podcast and you'd like to support the show, you can head over to pryingpriest.com to become a patron. Also, five-star ratings with written reviews go a long way to getting the word out there about this show. Also, since Enacting the Kingdom is social media free, any word of mouth recommendations you can make to your friends and family would be greatly appreciated. We'll see you next time. 